This is the Nebraska Greats, a weekly podcast as a service to the Nebraska Greats Foundation, which serves former collegiate athletes facing medical needs and financial challenges. Your tax-deductible contribution will change the life of a former college sports hero. Please give online at negreats.org. And now, here's your host... Jim Rose. Ed, it's great talking to you. How are things going down there in the Big 12 office for you? Uh, things are going well, Jim. Good to be with you. Appreciate you asking. Um, you know, it's a uh, intense time of the year as we get down to the stretch run of the season and try to identify who's going to be in the championship game. And there's college football playoff implications. And so it makes it an, an exciting time. Exciting time for the Big 12 Conference. You and Commissioner Bowlesby have probably been huddled up in some high-level meetings over the last several months. Um, and it's been kind of inspirational for a lot of old Big 8 Southwest Conference fans because they were afraid that with Texas and Oklahoma booking out of there, maybe it'd be the end of the Big 12. But it sounds like you guys have been super proactive and are, are adding teams and schools that will really uh, augment the brand. Yeah, so we're excited about it. We're, as you mentioned, uh, bringing in four new members uh, BYU, Houston, uh, Central Florida, and Cincinnati. And so, you know, right now, uh, three of those four are in the top 25 currently. Uh, and Central Florida has traditionally uh, found a place in, inside those rankings as well. You know, coupled with the success this season that Oklahoma State and, and Baylor and Iowa State have continued to have along with uh, Oklahoma, it should make for uh, an exciting future once we transition to, to the new members. All right. So being in Dallas and Nebraska being in the Big Ten, you probably don't get much chance to follow the old alma mater much. Uh, how much how much of Nebraska football can you consume on an annual basis? Yeah, not, not as much as I would like to. Um, uh, our, our team here, when I'm in the command center, they're, they're kind enough to make sure when the Huskers are playing that they give me a little bit of the screen on, on one of our, our monitors so I can keep track of what the Huskers are doing, but it's probably more of, of score updates. I honestly just haven't really had an opportunity to sit down and enjoy uh, watching a complete game. Uh, I did get to watch some of the game against uh, Michigan this year. I've got some friends who are some, some big Michigan folks. And so we had a little wager on that game. So the boys let me down, but we'll get them next time. That was one of the better games um, that I've seen in there in a while. Uh, it kind of takes us back to your days, you know, when the place was really lit up and people were juiced and they got the impression, okay, this is going to be one of those throwback evenings when you got two big old powerhouses just landing sledgehammers on each other for 60. I mean, that was one of those helmet games, you know, Michigan, Nebraska, and uh, they did not disappoint. The two teams really lived up to it. No, they, they really played well in that game. You know, they've had a number of uh, really hard-fought and competitive games. Unfortunately, they, they've come up on the wrong end of it. But, you know, watching what they did to Oklahoma, and I didn't think people gave Nebraska much of a chance uh, at all to stay close and be competitive in that game. And they took it down to the wire. And, you know, the Michigan game we're talking about, but, you know, Michigan State – uh, and Ohio State are also two two games that um, so hopefully they're getting close. Uh, I saw that um, Scott is shaking up his offensive staff a little bit, and so you know hopefully they're they're continuing to to get the right puzzle pieces in place to have a bright future. He cares. Now he came in. I think he was a redshirt, and he, he was a transfer. I believe your senior year is that correct? Did you guys no, did, he, your, he did your in. careers overlap at all? 
No, I think he came in um, in either 95 or 97. Yeah. I don't remember. 95, so yeah. it, was, it was right after uh, I was completing completing my time there. So Yeah. Um, this offseason, uh, the name Ed Stewart in Nebraska popped up quite a bit in Nebraska. I had an opening for which you seemed quite qualified and are quite qualified, and that was to become athletics director in Nebraska. Was that ever something that was serious in your mind, Uh Serious on your end, serious on Nebraska's end. How did that whole process go? Well, I, I would tell you, obviously, as a former Husker, um, it would be a thrill of a lifetime to, to have an opportunity and come back and, and serve in any meaningful capacity. Um, hats off to Trev. I'm excited to see Trev get this opportunity. And uh, I, I know that he loves Nebraska, and, and I think he'll do an outstanding job for the Huskers. All right. What about the program? Uh now that you've been in administration for most of your adult life, uh, after you grew up and got done playing football, then you got into a big boy gig uh, as an athletics administrator and have spent your entire career doing it. How difficult is the job today to administrate a, a college sports program, in particular, a high-level football program with all of this that's, that's different now from when you played? Yeah, you know, that's an excellent question, Jim. There, there have been so many changes uh, the, the evolution of television, uh, conference realignment, you know, the reduction of scholarship numbers, um, the, 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 it, it, the growing salaries that you have to be able to afford uh, to get the best and brightest coaches and keep them, you know, adding to, to all of that now is this new NIL world. Uh, and ever-changing um, governance landscape that we're experiences, experiencing. So there, there are lots of moving parts, but at the end of the day, you know, what it really boils down to is administration, uh, coaches, all institutional leadership really being on the same page and rowing in the same direction. Uh, all of this other stuff that's going on around us certainly has an impact uh, but at the end of the day, there's no replacement for university leadership, athletic department leadership, and coaching staffs being aligned, having a shared vision, and working together to achieve those, those objectives. Uh, that secret recipe has not changed. So really, the days of the IBM-style leadership, where you have an athletics administration, a central administration, and everybody stays in their lane, really can't apply now. You have to have a very open and very consistent communicative relationship with your football staff. Uh, and and let's, make, let's, let's be honest about it, football is it. I mean, all of those other sports are important for the athletes. All of those other sports are important for the culture. But football and a football program is what makes an athletics department go. So it has to be a clear line of communication all the way up to the top, doesn't it? Absolutely. I mean, everybody's got a role to play and they need to be stars uh, in their roles, but they also have to be team players and they also have to be willing um, to, to work together. And there's no question about it. Uh, what realignment um, has taught us is that it's all predicated uh, on the sport of football. And, and that makes sense, though, because um, when you look at where the revenues are generated, they're primarily coming from uh, the sport of football uh, and basketball. And depending on where you are, it may be baseball, it may be hockey, they can do some things incrementally. Uh, but, you know, football, when you just look at the sheer size of the stadiums, 
compared to a basketball arena, it pales into comparison. So for, for a lot of these athletic departments to be able to sustain themselves, they are heavily dependent on success in football and being able to sell tickets and have a strong product um, that the alumni and fan base support with their pocketbooks. Um, and, and so that's just the reality of, of where we are today. Visiting with former Husker All-America linebacker Ed Stewart, now Associate Commissioner of the Big 12 Conference, a career in sports administration. And there are so many large issues uh, that are going to become extremely important in your profession and our profession of college sports over the next five years. Let's start with NIL, Ed. Where do you think this is going? It's almost completely unregulated from a college sports standpoint. It's state to state, school to school. We can't continue to have the Wild West show and name, image, and likeness, can we? Uh, no, we can't. And, and that's where I think that um, hopefully, ultimately, we'll see some, some federal uh, resolution where we can have some consistency uh, across the board. Because to, to your point, you know, right now it is state by state, and there's just, um, there's, there's just too, too much inconsistency. And it's really not fair for for the student athletes or the administrators that are trying to, um, you know, to to support the students uh, in these endeavors. You know, technically, um, an institution is not supposed to have an active role in helping uh, young people nail some of these deals down. But there's really no regulation of that. So at some point in time, we're going to have to um, obviously uh, learn as we go through this, but hopefully sooner. Um, rather than later, we can develop a more uh, consistent pathway uh, across the board. You've probably monitored this very carefully because the Big 12 has some very high profile athletes, male and female athletes. Uh, there were some guys that were developing deals long before the season began in the Big 12. Uh, in your view, has it, has it had a negative effect on performance I see kids that were high-profile NIL kind of guys not have the season that they'd had in the past. How much of a distraction do you think this is to, a, to any college athlete, certainly a young one? Well, I, I think there's certainly the, the potential for that to happen. Um, I don't think that's unique to professional sports. I mean, how many times have we seen um, people uh, – working really hard and playing really well to get that next contract. And then once they get it, there's a little bit of a, 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 a slip off. And so I think you're probably potentially seeing some of that uh, in the collegiate space. But then again, a lot of times, um, you know, how, how much stuff now is, is hype and potential projection uh, as opposed to, you know, actual production. So, you know, in some cases you can have a kid and has one really good year, uh, but there's no track record that they're able to sustain that over a period of time. Uh, and, and that's just the reality of the situation. At, at the end of the day, hopefully um, our, our kids, whether or not they have a great NIL deal or they are trying to earn one, uh, you want to have people that, that enjoy competition, that are driven to be the best, that are not just focused on that NIL deal or that professional contract, but those people that are passionate and love the game, you know, as a coach or an administrator, those are the types of kids 
that you want to recruit and bring into your program. You want to have those kids that they want to go out and play, whether it's in a, uh, you know, street parking lot or they want to go out and play at the local park down the field and it doesn't take 80,000 people to get them motivated, that they've got that, that inner drive, that they just want to beat the person across from them. Visiting with former Husker All-American Ed Stewart uh, on the Nebraska Greats podcast, uh, you talked about how unregulated it is. You're right. Technically, the institutions are supposed to have nothing to do with the uh, <laughs> money being funneled from private enterprise or individuals or families into athletes, but there's no way to avoid a conflict because, uh, you know, they need to know who the guys are. <laughs> they need to know who needs what. And that only comes from the coaching staff. It, the same principle, I suppose, applies to the transfer portal. Uh, I suppose there were probably one or two, three times during your career in Nebraska when you thought, you know what, I think I should be somewhere else. It's inevitable. It happens to every kid who leaves home and comes into a place where they have to earn a, a spot on a college roster starting at the bottom of the depth chart. Depth chart. But the transfer portal is wreaking havoc on on rosters and it's causing coaches uh, to uh, fall into ill health. Where do you think the transfer portal is going? Yeah, I can't believe that, that, that I uh, neglected to, to mention that early on when we were talking about some of the changes, but certainly um, the transfer, excuse me, transfer portal um, is a new uh, dynamic. It, it can help a program really quickly because you can be weak in some spots and go to the transfer uh, portal and get some experienced guys to plug and play right away. And it can uh, equally be devastating, you know, if you're losing um, those student athletes, you know, unfortunately it's kind of the, uh, the, the world that, uh, that we live in now, everybody wants immediate gratification and it's really hard on coaches. Um, you know, a kid comes in and you've got some tough coaching or they're having to earn their spot and, and they don't like the amount of playing time they're getting or the way they're, they're used. It's, you know, it's just becoming too easy for kids to just give up on it and say, I'm going to go try it somewhere else. Now, having said that, uh, you also have to play the devil's advocate of that is, you know, uh, a coach can decide from year to year whether or not they're going to leave and go take another job or what have you. And so, um, you know, there's some balance there. I, I think that, um, uh, you know, legislatively, we're looking at doing some things for this coming year that will give coaches some extra scholarships to be able to replace, replenish their roster if they lose some people. Uh, we're trying to have some more uh, defined deadlines so that if a kid is going to transfer, they've got to do it within a certain time frame. So you don't want to go through um, you know, a fall camp and right before the season starts, a kid says, yeah, you know what? You didn't name me the starting quarterback, so I'm going to transfer. Uh, you, you'd like to have some, some, some clear benchmarks that coaches can, uh, you know, use to say, hey, okay, now I know what my roster is going to look like in a given year. But there's no question uh, the transfer portal has changed things. And unfortunately, you can also work in a negative way when you look at the numbers uh, of student athletes, specifically in football, that are getting into the transfer portal. Um, some are going in with scholarships. You've got a lot of walk-ons that are going in, but you also have a lot of people that may be walking away from a scholarship, getting in the portal, thinking that the grass is going to be greener somewhere, 
and find out they're left holding the bag and do not have a scholarship. So, you know, it's, it's a little bit of a, a, a risk reward situation in, in some instances. Yeah. I, I think this is one of the unreported components of the transfer portal. And that is a whole lot more guys go into the portal than come out of the portal. Uh, and they, they think, well, wait a minute, there's gotta be somebody out there that needs me. Uh, well, maybe not. <laughs> and there's, there's an education process that is probably hard to actually execute. If a kid is unhappy or he or she's getting negative influencing from somebody else, a third party or relative, you know, a former coach or a rival coach, uh, that's, that's not good for the kid. But I suspect that in a number of cases, kids that enter the transfer portal come out thinking, wait a minute, this is not what I thought was going to happen. Yeah, they get bad advice. You know, it's like some kids that um, they leave early, whether it's football or basketball, they they get bad advice that they'll be, you know, drafted at X, posit, um, at X place in the draft, and then you end up in all the names are called and that kid is still sitting there. So there, there's certainly some of that. And there's some, certainly um, some concern with that with regard to the NIL. You know, you've got 18 and 19-year-olds who are entering deals. You know, who, who do they have that is advising them and, and carefully uh, reading the word, the wording and the, 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 the fine print, as they say sometimes in some of those contracts? You know, are you signing away? Uh, your names and right it's uh, for you know how how long are you doing that you know there's stories about um, you know uh, uh, celebrity chefs all the time that end up in some sort of a bad business deal where they end up signing their name away and they walk away they have a separation with a, a company and then they find out what I can't go and right. open a new restaurant and use my name. Well, no, you signed it over to this other group. So um, we need to make sure that uh, kids have every opportunity to take advantage of the transfer portal. Um, You know, it's okay. I think it's great that a kid has an opportunity to get a mulligan, say, you know, hey, I was 17, 18. I thought this was going to be a great fit. Turns out it's not a good fit. Yeah, okay, that kid should be able to have a mulligan and go someplace else. Uh, The same with NIL. you know, times have changed. You know, the coaching salaries um, have skyrocketed. So I, I don't have any qualms about young people being able to, to capitalize um, off their name, image, and likeness if the opportunity presents itself. But I, I just hope that they were able to do it in a in a way that um, it's protected, is regulated. You know, as we talk about the transfer portal. You know, technically, you're not supposed to be able to recruit off someone else's roster. Mm-hmm. But but how how are we legislating that? How, how do we know if an opposing coach isn't actively trying to recruit off another team's roster? Those, those are some of the challenges that we still got to find solutions for. And it used to be the NCAA was sort of the ultimate Supreme Court on this. But we've seen the NCAA lose a significant amount of its influence in college football it has been gathered up by the conferences and the conferences now are going to have to somehow link arm in arm and agree to a series of reforms that everybody has to follow. Otherwise nothing changes because the sec or the big 10 or the PAC 12 just keep ratcheting up what they're doing. And it's a chase and a chase is, is ultimately not very positive for the kids. There was a time Ed, when freshmen were not eligible to play 
because they thought, well, this is a great chance for them to become acclimated to college life mm -hmm. campus. Now, a lot of people complain this isn't right. There was, there was legal action against it. But do you foresee ever a case where we could go back to a time when freshmen would be ineligible just as a means of slowing this process down or what? Um, as an association, I, I don't think so. Uh, unfortunately, the, uh, the courts have, have engaged in the um, collegiate landscape. And so uh, as the, the judge clearly ruled uh, in the Ninth Circuit, um, you know, conferences are not able to, you know, collaborate and, and make decisions uh, collectively. And so to the point, uh, I think you're really gonna have to start seeing uh, individual conferences having to make their own decisions and uh, how they're, what rules they're gonna have and how they're gonna enforce those rules. Because unfortunately, as it stands, it's gonna become absent some sort of federal inter intervention. It's going to be harder and harder for 10 conferences to, as they would say, collude, get together and establish a set of rules, which is really unheard of because the, as, as an organization in any, any industry, you've got to have some mechanism to govern yourselves. Uh, but we're just chasing one lawsuit um, yeah. after another. You, you move the, the marker from point A to point C and then entity D and E want to take legal issue of it. So it, it's created a, a very difficult um, space to navigate in. Be an exciting next five years for sure. Ed, people love looking up on that North Stadium and seeing your name up there. A great Nebraska hero, and we'd love to see you back in Nebraska sometime soon. I'd love to get back. Um, I always bleed red, so go Big Red. Okay, thanks, Ed. Have a great day. That's our Nebraska Greats podcast featuring Ed Stewart, former Nebraska, uh, outstanding Nebraska defensive standout from the 1994 National Championship team. Go online to learn more about the Nebraska Greats Foundation at negreats.org. This has been Nebraska Greats, a weekly podcast serving the Nebraska Greats Foundation. You can find each episode on Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Play, and anywhere you get your podcasts. Please give generously to serve Nebraska's former sports heroes in need at negreats.org. And be sure to follow the Any Greats on Facebook and Twitter.